This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 10. This is Writing Excuses. Anticipation is more than just making us wait. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Tong Lun. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. So now that you've been anticipating some things, um, let's talk about actually how this works. Um, there's a number of different forms of anticipation um, that we can we can think about playing with, um, and I'm I'm going to mention four of them, um, but there but there are more. Um, this can be anything from surprise, where you're introducing an unexpected element, uh, suspense, where you're delaying an action or an answer. Um, humor is often a form of anticipation where you know that a joke is coming. Um, and then uh, unfulfilled promises where you, uh, you, you've, the, the reader is waiting for the thing that you have promised is going to have happen. Uh, in previous episode, we mentioned going down the dark stairs and you know that someone is going to jump out. You've just made that promise. Yeah, the the title of this episode comes from the 1976 Heinz ketchup commercial where they're singing anticipation while the very slow ketchup comes out of the bottle. And the whole idea being, I really want to just eat this sandwich, but I have to wait for the ketchup first. Um, Anticipation is inherently, there is an inherent tension there, and you can you can be anticipating something wonderful, even the ordinary kind of wonderful like ketchup. And, and that and actually... It, I just want to say that an important part of anticipation is that you have to know or think you know what's coming. Uh, and a very, very short version of a story I know I've told before uh, I was trying to teach this to a group of teen writers several years ago, and I showed them the beach scene, the first beach scene in Jaws, where there's a bunch of kids out playing in the water, and it is full of jump scares and all these things in this just delicious mounting tension of which one of these kids is going to get eaten by a shark. But I, in my foolishness, forgot to tell this group of 12-year-olds that there was a shark. They didn't. They had no context for this movie whatsoever. And so instead of a very tense scene, it was a really boring scene in which nobody got eaten by a shark. And without knowing that something bad was going to happen, there's no anticipation at all. One of the, the things that I, I love about that example is, the, um, is, is that, that you have to have that conversation with the reader. And one of the things that I will see people do badly with anticipation is that, that they will hold on to a key piece of information, uh, trying to build tension by creating a mystery around it that is unnecessary, where the the reasons for interruption um, are unearned, and and this is a like this was again a thing that I played with a lot with Spearman uh, was that I would attempt to have to create tension by having someone say, "Oh, the answer to your question," and then I would use Gimlet, who is an adorable small dog, to interrupt the process. So the answer to your question, is this dog allowed to have fries? And 
the the reason that that worked was uh usually was that it was it was an earned interruption and it was an interruption that wasn't under anyone's direct control um and there was also a different payoff like that interruption was serving another function often the interruption is just like the, someone comes by to drop a check and they've deci- they decide not to answer the question after all that that dropping the check that that isn't serving any other purpose in the scene it's not it, it's a an unearned in my mind uh unearned interruption in a different way you've also used anticipation in one of the most clever ways that i've seen which is with the uh, uh intimacy between your two leads right there's this recurring sort of very funny thing where they're just trying to get a moment alone to sort of have an intimate moment you know, because it's their honeymoon. And you're using those scenes to give us an enormous amount of exposition and information. You're having them talk through the mystery and you're using them as what could, in other circumstances, be a very dry lore dump. But by including this anticipatory element of like, are they finally going to get to do the thing? It, it creates this very funny loop where you're using the anticipation in this very like subtle background way that draws us into the scene and gives us a reason to care about what they're saying while we're just like, can they please just make out now? You know, um, it's great. <laughs> Thank you for noticing that. I... <laughs> <laughs> or not. Maybe I don't want you to notice it, but yes. <laughs> but but it is it is that thing, um, which I, I think gets back to something that Dan said earlier, that anticipation that there is a, an element of hope, uh, that you're, there's a thing that you're hoping is going to happen. I think that was Dan. It may have been Aaron. Um, it was Dan, uh, and it was two episodes ago. Two episodes ago, previously. Or no, one episode ago, but yeah. <laughs> Before, someone said, <laughs> and, and I thought it was clever. Um, but but that element of hope, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, that there is an outcome that you're wishing for with, with anticipation. Now, one, one form of anticipation that I don't see on your list, though it, it, it arguably could be a part of suspense, uh, is, is the idea of inevitability. If mm. we have seen a character do a certain thing in a certain situation every previous time that that situation has arrived, then all of a sudden you can present us with that situation again and we know what's going to happen. We know they're going to make the wrong choice or we know that they're going to kill the person. Um, You can see this a lot uh, in No Country for Old Men, for example, uh, where we suddenly find ourselves in this situation and we know what's going to happen because we've seen it happen before uh, and that inevitability just adds so much tension into it. Genre also programs a measure of that inevitability into us. If you're watching a, a watching or reading a thing and you realize, oh, this is sort of following hero's journey and this character is the mentor. Oh crap, I like this character and they're the this character and they're the mentor. Something is going to happen to them to prevent them from being useful. Oh no. And that's that's real. And that's a thing that your readers bring to your book. Um, even if you're not writing Hero's Journey, if you've dropped enough things that might telegraph to the reader that it's Hero's Journey, the character they think is the mentor is the character they're expecting you to kill off. And it's something that we need to be aware of anytime we're writing in a genre and sometimes you can be really explicit about it. You know, uh, Star Wars has spent 20 years now 
milking anticipation as a narrative engine in all these prequel series, right? I'm a huge fan of the cartoon Clone Wars, also known as the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker, right? We know what happens to Anakin. We spend five seasons with all these characters that we know aren't surviving the series. They are not in the movies. We know what is going to happen when Anakin becomes Darth Vader. And so the tension of that series is so much in, wait, there are all these characters we care about. Are they going to make it out of this? How do they make it out of this? And those questions. Or Andor recently was such a fascinating series because we know where Cassian Andor ends up. We know, and the entire question of the series that we're watching is, how does he become the character that we meet in Rogue One? So they're sort of using this as a loop over and over again to answer interesting questions that the audience has and using our anticipation, using our sense of inevitability to give us like these little Greek tragedy structured stories because we have certainty about where this ends up. Speaking of inevitability and anticipation, why don't we take a pause for a thing of the week? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our thing of the week this week is Max Gladstone's Dead Country. Uh, this book is out March 7th, um, which should be a couple days from when you're hearing this, if you're listening to it when the episode drops. Uh, Max is returning to his most well-known and original series, uh, The Craft Sequence, with a new series of books that is uh, telling the story of a war that is coming to the world of the craft. Um, the first book starts with Dead Country. We meet Tara Abernathy, who's the hero of the first book, Three Parts Dead, returning to her home for the first time since she was chased out uh, because she's heard the news that her father has died. Um, 
So we get to see this character that we've seen before returning home, and it's this really wonderful examination of uh, what we give up when we go out into the world, what ambition costs us, and how do we pass on the learnings that we've had over the course of our lives. Um, Dead Country kicks off a new arc in the craft that is a much closer, tighter-knit arc than we've seen Max do before. And I, I cannot tell you how excited I am for everyone to see where he takes this universe over the next four books. So as we're continuing this conversation about um, anticipation, there's one of the other things that I, I particularly enjoy um, are subverted tropes, uh, where you are using the, the reader's expectations against them. Um, and sometimes this is... a uh, that I, I will spoil a little bit. This is a thing that I used in uh, Spareman when, um, and you, you'll see this used a lot where you, you're like, aha, aha, I think that it is this person. And then they become the act two corpse um, or, uh, or, or something else happens that causes you to, to decide, oh, I guess I was wrong. And then either they have faked their own death or they have, uh, but there's something where you subvert the reader's expectations, and you you use their anticipation of the way you th- they think it's going to go to uh, to to toy with them. One of the one of the best examples I can think of, just off the top of my head, is Samuel L. Jackson's um, Saint Crispin's Day speech in 1999's Deep Blue Sea, where where he is riling everybody up and saying, yeah, these sharks might be smart, but we're human beings and we're, and he is ramping up to awesome full blown Samuel L. Jackson. And then a shark comes out of the water from behind him and eats him. And now that, I mean, here 20 years later, we kind of expect that sort of thing. Now, you know, now that it's been done a few times, but at the time it was both hilarious and horrifying and was was brilliant. And so I look for ways in which I can do something that looks like it's delivering what people are anticipating and then twists and delivers something else that makes them laugh and makes them scream at the same time. One of the things that I love about that is that it plays with the different types of anticipation, not in the way that Mary Robinette has set this up, but just the different strands. You can have physical, like the anticipation of physical pain, uh, the anticipation of emotional change, like I'm going to have a breakthrough or a relational change. We're finally going to make out. You know, and what I think is cool about that example is it's an emotional, the anticipation is of this emotional release and then a physical thing comes in and interrupts it. So one thing that's really fun is to play around with the different types of anticipation or the different kind of places in which anticipation can happen and then layer those in among each other. Uh, Mary Robinette kind of mentioned this earlier, but I think horror and humor really rely on the same overlapping anticipatory impulse, right? Um, And this kind of goes to what Aaron was saying as well in, in, you know, there's one type of anticipation that sort of drives that flip. There's a moment in, um, uh, the, the recent reboot of Candyman. And it's a tiny little moment where one of the characters opens a cellar door and looks down a dark stairwell. And we have this horror anticipation of she's going to go down there, something bad's down there. You know, it's not going to go great. And she just says, nope. 
and closes the door. And it becomes this comedy <laughs> beat. It's, it's, it's a delightful beat. I was in a theater. We all just lost our minds at this. But, you know, it is this thing of humor can be about subverting the expectation and horror can be about fulfilling the expectation. The horror mm. version is she goes down there and something bad happens to her. The humor version is she's like, I ain't doing this. I'm out. And, you know, closes the door and walks away. And so I think how you resolve the anticipation can sort of determine what genre space you're in. But the, the same impulse is there in terms of the feeling we have going into that. The, one of the uh, examples of, of how you can really use anticipation uh, along those lines um, is uh, in in The Expanse. In the first episode, we meet, uh, I think it's the first episode, but we meet uh, a ship's captain and he has this wall of collectible cat figurines. <laughs> and the the main character is like, so what's with the cat figurines? He's like, what? And he he clearly refuses to answer there's there's something there and what you're anticipating is that later there he's gonna there's gonna be a telling moment you know a compelling moment where that he shares why he collects the cat figurines or you're anticipating that one of them is going to be broken and he's going to feel main character is going to feel real bad about having broken it um and instead full-on spoiler uh what happens is um we just blow the entire ship up and we will never get the answer to what what is going on with all of those cats but it it creates this this little bit of tension there that that it's like here's we we're anticipating something that these are going to be important for some reason we're anticipating that they're a chekhov's gun and then they are not um the well, other yeah. Go on. That, if I can interrupt really quick that's also an example of that uh, you know combination of anticipation and hope uh, mm-hmm. Just giving those little cat figurines humanizes that character in such a tiny but vital way that suddenly we care about this person. Mm. We care about getting the answer to that question. We find them to be more interesting than just standard captain on a doomed ship. And so when the ship blows up, we care in a way we wouldn't have without that little element. Um. I want to call out one of my favorite go-to tools for anticipation, and that is the beta reader. Mm. I will ask my beta readers at the end of each chapter to tell me, what is it that you are anticipating? What is it that you are dreading? What is? Tell me what you think is going on. Not so I can second guess you and write the story so that you're wrong. I want to know if the anticipation is working. Because it's very difficult to know if it's working when the only person who's reading it is you. Yeah, that's that's very true. Which actually brings me to how you can use anticipation with a mystery. We mentioned that one of the, the main beats in a mystery is the twist. The twist does not work unless you have the reader anticipate something else. And that's one of the the things that you have to do when you're setting up the mystery is you have to you have to build in an anticipation, and then at the twist point you take them someplace else. Speaking of taking us someplace else, I think let's take us to our homework assignment. I can do that. Um, have a look at your current work in progress, and ask yourself: Are there genre tropes? That you can that you can subvert. Can you pay off reader anticipation by delivering something other than what the genre you're writing in has led the reader to expect? 
This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.